Welcome to this first edition of the Centrix podcast and I'm joined by two experts uh, in their uh, fields and very, very similar uh, fields and uh, two uh, anglicized names I think we're going to uh, we're going we're going to find so I'll I'll give you the Australian version so it's Dr. Yui Stroyer but it's also Uwe Stroyer Uwe Stroyer and of course we've got Walter van Leeuwen but you're you also we Yeah Walter van Leeuwen like that would say van Leeuwen yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks Grant thanks Thank for you. having us and, and so Walter you are Centrex's agronomist Yes, so I'm, uh, my role is to manage the essentially the, the DARP cells, so um, the rock phosphate that's just been naturally crushed and screened to core mill. So we're making that available to Australian farmers just as an alternative um, low energy um, resource, you know, for that's rich in phosphorus. And you, you're well known in your field, no stranger to media, uh, but tell us a bit about your background uh, and your so, involvement. So basically, uh, I'm a microbiologist. Uh, really looking at soil microbiology, uh, how microbes can help uh, benefit plant growth, uh, soil health. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we're looking at here is uh, the ability to do things like make that DARP available, so the phosphate available for plants to use. So I sort of advise on, on that area and uh, how we can optimise, uh, you know, fertiliser use efficiency for the farmers. Cool. So what we're talking about today is is ultimately Centrex's Ardmore Phosphate Rock Mine, which is up in northwest Queensland. Yeah. Walter, can you just give me a little bit of the background on that and, and what the, the relevance is for the Australian agricultural community? Well, I think it's a fairly significant um, because this is one of the highest grade known uh, phosphate mineral deposits in Australia, at least known at this time. And a few years back ago, um, we started um, actively um, you know, mining the, the, the site for the rock phosphate. A part of that gets beneficiated, so that goes through a washing process and being um, shipped to um, synthetic fertilizer producers. But then we also recognize um, that in the market today, there's a higher, higher demand for biological type um, natural uh, fertilizers or minerals, if mm. you want to put it like that. And that's what we are making available to, to all farmers directly and to um, natural, uh, well, biological fertilizer producers. Um, so we we recently agreed to an MOU with Neutrop, trying to work with them, and we supply some other, um, you know, um, biological fertilizer producers as well. So, so it's, it's direct application phosphate rock, and that's in a very, it's not, when you hear the word rock, you, you maybe think of, of, of rocks, of course, but it's a very fine, crushed uh, sandy like substances yeah i think you can more refer it to it is rock that's been crushed but it's essentially high in phosphorus but also more importantly uh, calcium um as we know you know chemically phosphate binds we uh, binds very quickly particularly with calcium iron um, aluminium all those things and this is just a natural f- um, format where we can then use the biology to liberate that phosphate and make it bioavailable to the plants. Okay, so you'll be stepping back. So the, what role does phosphate play in, in uh, you know, pastures and, and farming in, in, in general? Well, phosphate is one of those essential nutrients for all life on earth, regardless of whether we're looking at, at plants or animals mm-hmm. or even uh, microbes. You know, it's, it's part of your DNA. It's part of your membrane. So it's, it's absolutely, absolutely critical. It can't be replaced by any other nutrient. Uh, and really... Um, you know, in, in pastures, it, it's really critical. I mean, you're looking not only at the plant, which obviously requires phosphate to grow and and to 
to you know develop roots and all the rest of it. But in the end, you're also expecting uh, animals to eat that pasture and get their phosphate via right. that source. So if a plant's starved of phosphate, obviously you, you're going to end up with animals that are starved of phosphate. I mean, you, you'll get a reduced yield in the plant to start with. And then, um, you know, the, the plants do have some ability to reduce the amount of phosphate they have in their shoots and in their, in their green area, in their gr green growth. And so if you do that, you're really depriving the animals as well. So it's a really, a, it's a whole cycle. It's really taking that phosphate from the rock, using biology, so microbes in the soil, make that available. The plant takes it up. That goes into the, uh, into the, 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 the animals subsequently or alternatively of course you know if we eat uh, certain greens we'd like to get a, a shot of phosphate as well for our own uh, bodies like we need it for our bones and our teeth and and all the rest of it so yeah it's a it's an absolute critical nutrient so you can't can't do without it well how do you how does a farmer know whether where their phosphate levels are at? i assume they do testing soil testing well right that, that's one way of doing it i mean uh, some farmers will do soil testing other farmers will do tissue testing so they'll actually take a part of the plant and look to see whether or not the plant itself is locking, lacking phosphate. Uh, so, you know, soil tests do have their, their place. They're great to get a baseline on what's happening in your farm. But tissue testing is really the way you can see whether or not your plant has it. Because often what you might find is you find certain plants are able to extract phosphate even if it's not what you would call bioavailable in the soil. And that's, you know, in part because that is association with these, these fungi and these bacteria. And um, we don't really measure that in a in a soil test, but in a tissue test for a plant, we can actually look directly to see what is the plant taking up, and is that below the recommended levels? And if it is, then obviously application of phosphate in some format should be considered. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's really important soil test, and then follow up with with leaf test. The old dogma comes to mind. You know, measure twice, apply once. Mm. You know, that's really important. So you don't over-fertilize. Um, I know fertilizers is is um, expensive in today's, uh, in today's world, and that's why you can use those tools to really fine-tune, um, you know, what actual nutrients or actually minerals you need to apply to the soil to facilitate the, the bugs or the microbes and... Um, and to work together with the plants. So these are these whole symbiotic uh, processes that happens there. So most farmers would obviously be aware of the application of, of single superphosphate and other type products. So how, where does the direct application rock come into that? There's the slightly different applications and considerations for application. Yeah. Look, I think, you know, rock phosphate obviously um, is in its natural form where superphosphate goes through a, a process to make it more soluble. You know, with the manufacturing process of like uh, superphosphate, as I explained earlier, it gets beneficiated, puts on the ship, goes in a factory, they dose it with sulfuric acid um, to to essentially solubilize it, and that sort of works in nature. But it's it's a really harsh way sometimes to do that, um, and then uh, gets granulated and gets shipped back to to the grower. Um, where DARP is just directly shipped to the grower. Um, now, in certain cases, when you re some crops do need a higher solubility type fertilizer um, to immediately release it, you know, particularly in the root zone as, as you get germination, where the rock phosphate is a slow release phosphate. And a lot of people ask me about, yeah, what's the solubility? Well, the solubility of the two is 
approximately the same once you put it back in, in the soil. The benefit of the superphosphate uh, super is that you've got the, um, the sulfur component where rock phosphate is not going to supply you that. So there's a balance that you need to achieve. And I think, you know, um, rock phosphate can is applied for new sowings, particularly in pastures, in permanent pasture situations. We, because we know that phosphate does not really move within the soil profile. Um, some agronomists, you know, um, refer to it as a reluctant nutrient. Mm. You know, it gets locked up very quickly. So you need the biology and the organic matter to release that in a bioavailable format. So you would typically, what kind of farming situations? I mean, you know, it would, uh, I, I know on the, on the East Coast with the rainfall, mm. um, obviously influences the ability to use uh, uh, direct application phosphate rock, but is, is what, what, are, what, what kind of farming uh, situations would, would, you know, would a farmer look at? Uh, yeah, so I, I guess the, the benefits uh, are farmers that have uh, a, a certain level or a reasonable level of soil organic carbon. I think we need to keep that in mind. So uh, if you if you apply your superphosphate, we got to remember one thing. So there's there's a soluble component, but in that action of being becoming soluble, the phosphate will then travel a short distance in the ground, as Walter said. And as soon as it encounters something like a like a calcium ion or an aluminium or or even iron, it, it gets locked up again into an insoluble form. And that is why it's a you know sort of a recalcitrant or reluctant mm. nutrient. It doesn't move through the soil profile. Now, if you have soil organic carbon there, that supports microbe microbes. A lot of those microbes, their function is to they want to get at the phosphate itself, as we mentioned earlier. Mm. They required it, and so they also can't take it up in that insoluble form. So what they do is they actually start to break down that bond between that cation, so things like calcium and mm. aluminium, and release the anion, which in this case is the phosphate, which is the part that actually can be taken up by living organisms. And they do this by releasing a small amount of uh, organic acid, which is the reason why we solubilize uh, phosphate with sulfuric acid. And so the microbes do this very, very gently, very slowly over a period of time. And what happens is that if you don't have food for the microbes, so things like somewhat soil organic carbon, mm. they can't do that job. It requires a certain amount of energy mm. to produce these uh, organic acids. They need, a, they need some organic material. They need some carbon to make them. Uh, and if that's not present, then that makes it very difficult. So if a farmer has, uh, you know, some level of soil carbon that will help to feed the microbes. Obviously, in a farming practice, you may co-apply with uh, with composite material or even um, you know very very simple things like uh, partially degraded stubble and all that type of material can act as a catalyst to get the microbe numbers up. That will then make that phosphate soluble, and then it won't really matter that you know it's it's insoluble in its initial form the other thing you want to remember is that the microbes are also fed by the plants so once the plants have established themselves they start to secrete sugars into the soil those sugars are designed to feed those microbes plants also form symbiotic relationships with with fungi and bacteria and what, what that then happens it becomes sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy and that the the plant provides the sugar for the microbes to grow and the microbes will then continue to release phosphate. If we sort of think back in nature, nobody really puts phosphate on because there's this really active cycling that occurs. In a farming situation, because we've removed a lot of material from there, we continue removing biomass, we're burning through the soil organic carbon, we need to put phosphate back in. 
in a in a forestry setting, the phosphate continually gets cycled, as do most of the other nutrients. So I, I think that's really the reason why it has applications for certain regions. So in areas that have high rainfall, they often also tend to be a slightly more acidic soils. That helps to solubilize phosphate. Um, but also, obviously, that stimulates that soil moisture does stimulate those additional microbes to to act upon that that rock foss. And Walter, how is that applied? You know, in terms of the the number of tons, you know, per area. Yeah, again, it comes back to the soil test. You know, you need to understand what you start with, and then also appreciate, you know, what crops you are planting. So different crops will remove different type of nutrients. You know, so uh, a wheat crop you know, on average yield might remove about 10 kilograms of P per hectare. Um, now, not all of that gets removed, so that's why you need to measure it. Where uh, a, a crop like tomatoes or potatoes might remove up to 50 to 60 kilograms of P. But you also need to realize you're removing more biomass from, from that. So mm. a, a good potato crop can yield 60, 70 tons to the hectare. Um, same with tomatoes, possibly even more. So you, that's why that measurement twice mm. comes really to the foreplay for, uh, for me. Um, you know, these the new science are you know um, trying to determine what is the applicable application rate. But I would suggest you know just for maintenance purposes, you can apply about between 150 to two kilo, uh, uh, kilograms of DAR per hectare. Just as a maintenance, um, this is for pastures when you when you apply it new. If you really got a high requirement, then you might need to go to 600, 700, possibly even more. It really depends. And that's where you need to um, talk to your local agronomist. He understands the landscape, what you're trying to achieve, and work that in with your, I say, nutritional program for your pastures. Because like Dr. Ua said, earlier that nutrition's flow right through the whole chain up to you as, as a human being um you know for us as human beings our we've got quite a bit of calcium and phosphate in us mm. that's that our whole, whole skeleton is made of that you know one cannot function with the other so it's important to have a holistic approach to any nutritional plan it's not just about the phosphate and, and the application of uh, phosphorox, so that it's almost a slow release format as well. It takes place over a number of years as opposed to it being a, an instant fix. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's a slow release, like Dr. Wood said. The pH would be really uh, important. You know, most crops would uh, perform really well with a pH, um, and I'm talking water here, say 6.5 to about 7.5. That's your ideal range. There are certain crops that will tolerate acid swells, but we're talking about a, a, um, a range. And for your rock phosphate, to help with releasing the nutrients, you need it more on the acidic side. That helps. Mm. But that also facilitates the bugs to, or the mm. microbes to really thrive in, in that environment. It becomes too acid. That's right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, uh, there, is, there is obviously a limit to, to where microbes have their preferential range. Mm. Of growth and so i would say you know so sort of around that neutral zone anything from from six up to eight is 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 pretty good for microbes that's not to say that some don't strive as low as four not that you have too many soils that have a ph of four uh, there are microbes that are that are known to 
grow in, in quite low pHs. Extreme, we call them extremophiles. They grow at extreme ranges, uh, whether it's temperature or, or pH or salinity. But generally for, for a cropping situation, yes, as Walter said, uh, slightly acidic uh, is ideal. Most, most plants prefer that. Uh, some, some crops don't. I mean, things like brassicas uh, probably prefer slightly more alkaline soils, but putting those aside. And, you know, what, what happens is that you get that release of that phosphate due to the microbial action. Now, you know, that some people say, well, my soil has got a pH of eight, eight and a half. So, you know, for me, it's, it's pointless to put down DARP because I don't have the right pH. But it's not necessarily about your soil pH. If you combine that with organic material and you get those microbes secreting those yeah. small organic acids, and so they secrete things like citric acid, lactic acid, oxalic acid, all of those microbes, they, it's produced naturally by them, but some produce excess, excessive amounts, particularly for the purpose of solubilizing things like phosphate. They also solubilize things like potassium, by the way. But so the idea there is that even if your soil isn't quite at that lower pH, if you can get the microbes firing, you'll still get a benefit out of that phosphate. Fantastic. And so, I mean, Walter, you spend a lot of your time just speaking to farmers. Uh, the, the direct application phosphate rock is available through AgriFlex, which is Centrix's agriculture arm. Yep. How do farmers go about contacting you and, and just finding out whether they are, you know, they, they, they're a suitable applicant for, for phosphate rock? Yeah, well, the best thing is just to ring me um, and we can make our, my number available. Um, or we can contact us via our webpage. We've got a form there that you can quickly fill in just to inquire and we can see um, to to make um, arrangements to, to get it delivered right to your gate. Um, if you know. So that is delivered from uh, from Ardmore in it's, northwest Queensland. Yeah, it's from depending from, on quantities and, and yeah, what have you. Yes. Yeah. Depends a little bit on, on, on subject to the volumes and so forth. But yeah, so the mining site itself is located about 140 kilometers south of Mount Isa. So uh, as you know, it's a beautiful big country there mm. and um, it's, it's quite a far away. So we need a bit of uh, it's, um, a lead time to get it to you um, and just to make that uh, arrangements. But yeah, happy to talk to you and see how we can help. Um, with with a really good product and this transport partner uh, that's uh, yeah we, we've got a couple of uh, um, transport partners and we're still refining on that as well um, as as we know transport has been um, you know uh, thrown under the bus particularly post COVID um, so there's quite a lot a lot of moving parts that's why I'd say the more lead time we can get the better but then again I think a lot of the farmers try to plan know in advance and understand their requirements so this is really a, you as an investment in crop health or pasture Absolutely. health in yeah. the future i mean yeah. the, other, the other thing is of course you know it's, it's not a product that goes off so that's a good thing you, know, you can order <laughs> it and, and keep it in your shed if you need it's been laid down 500 yeah. million years ago yeah. so yeah. i don't think a few extra years in your shed's going to make much difference yeah. but certainly look it's it's a it's a great way to get crop health it's a it's an environmentally more sustainable way uh we know that that you know, if you're using things like superphosphate, if you have a heavy rain event, you'll get leaching. You'll lose a lot of that phosphate. That runs into your creeks. The next thing you know, bang, you've got eutrophication, which means you've got an algal bloom. And you know, perhaps potentially you'll get a knock on the door from somebody saying, oh, hang on, your, your farm's causing a problem, X, Y, Z. That simply won't happen with DARP because the release is slower. It is more... Um, Time and the other thing we got to look at is because the release from DARP is in some ways 
not only pH dependent, but also dependent on the action of the microbes. Microbes are beautifully adjusted to work together with plants. When it gets slightly warmer, microbes work slightly quicker. That's exactly the time when plants are growing slightly faster. If it gets extremely hot, microbes slow down, as do plants. So the whole system is in balance. You have that, that way in which the microbes, they solubilize the phosphate when they need it, which happens to be matching when the plants need it. So in, in spring, when you know the germination, there's moisture in the soil, there's some warmth, the microbes kick off, they make that phosphate available. Lo and behold, that happens to be the time when your, your seedlings, your seed, your wheat or, or your vetch or whatever is germinating in your fields. That's when you need to have it. There's no point in, in putting it down. You've got a massive rain event and it all washes down the creek. That's not when your plants need it. And Walter, uh, so this uh, uh, mine or the, the site rather was purchased from Incitech Pivot, I think in, in 2015. And one of the most interesting characteristics, other than it's extremely high quality, the highest in Australia, but it's also very low in cadmium. Mm. So what, what, where does cadmium fit in? What is that? Well, cadmium is, is a heavy metal and uh, it's carcinogenic. So you do not want high levels of cadmium. You are extremely fortunate of having very low um, heavy metals presence within that um, deposit itself. So that, that's a big plus, um, and therefore it qualifies as an organic uh, input. Mm. Um, we can make the test um, available, particularly for people that are interested in getting their final product um, you know, organically certified. You know, talking about finished goods in terms of vegetables, fruit, or anything of that kind. So, yeah. So, I mean, you're looking at the bigger picture. Um, you know, this mine is helping to reduce Australia's uh, very risky reliance on imported phosphate. And that's obviously good for food security. So where does that, you know, just if you can just substantiate that. Now, where, why is this so important? Well, like I said before, you know, phosphate is absolutely critical. We can't replace it with any other other nutrient. And and the thing is, if you if we look at the current situation or the situation over the last few years, some of our major suppliers have either decided uh, not to export completely. Uh, other suppliers have decided that they will export reduced quantities. Uh, still others have decided that they weren't going to uh, export rock phosphate. They were going to use all of their supplies to make uh, to up upgrade that into superphosphate and triple super and all, all the rest of it. So there's a there's a sort of sovereign security by having our own supply in the country. Uh, you know, Australia is, is ag from an agricultural perspective. I believe last year we exported something like seventeen billion dollars worth of goods out of this country. I mean, that's the third highest export we have. Uh, you know, after m mining and, and education, I believe. So, you know, it's absolutely critical that not only we can we maintain sovereign uh, food supply, but that we continue to feed the rest of the world. And take the war in Ukraine straight away. You know, Ukraine and Russia, major suppliers of fertilizers and other uh, agricultural goods, prices have shot up. Uh, people see it in the supermarket shelf. Farmers see it in the price of, of uh, fertilizers. So by having it here in the country, we mitigate that that risk. So, you know, this, the sovereign risk is significantly reduced if you can have a good, high-quality supply here. And just to add on to what Walter was saying about, you know, the low levels of cadmium, we've got to remember that that phosphate isn't only used in agriculture. It's used for a whole lot of other things as well. Mm. It's used for the use in batteries. It's used in medicines. There's over 200 medicines that humans use that have phosphate in them. Now, obviously, if you've got a supply that has low levels of cadmium and other heavy metals for that matter, it makes it an ideal uh, product to 
potentially use in in med- med- medical manufacturing. Again, that's something which is is almost unique to our our phosphate deposit. Uh, so there's there's you know there's other things. It, it, sure, there's the the agricultural side, which is absolutely critical. But you know we see that there's also potential for for other industries to use that phosphate. Um, so yeah, look, it's like like so many things, we haven't really noticed our dependence on the global supply chain until it breaks down. And you know, COVID and a war in Ukraine, we've shown very quickly how fragile that really is. Well, uh, Walter, so there'll be people watching and listening to this on on, on Agrifex and, and Centrex's LinkedIn channel, Facebook, even YouTube, and they can send a message if that's easier for them to send a message to you. Yes. And you'd, ca- you'd call them back. Uh, these yeah. are farmers that are perhaps interested in learning a bit more, uh, understanding it for their very unique circumstances. Correct, yeah. Every landscape is a little bit different. I'm keen to, uh, you know, talk through and understand you know, how we can help with uh, this uh, very high quality product. Absolutely. And Centrix and Agrifix obviously headquartered in South Australia, but uh, obviously with a presence. Uh, yeah, we, we nationwide, perhaps not WA, because that's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a, a distance. <laughs> so but we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. The tyranny of distance is, uh, is I think, is a major oh, man, major issue in Australia is anyway. Yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful big country, country but <laughs> big being the operative word here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Well, guys, thanks so much for your time. I think, uh, you know, we hope that to be doing more podcasts, maybe uh, in the next, uh, we won't give away too much, but uh, there has been a publicized uh, arrangement, an MOU with Nutrog, which we can maybe go into. I'm sure that'll be of, of significant interest to broad acre farmers. Yeah. No, thank you. No, thank you for your time and uh, a pleasure.